We are continuing this series, RSVP, Thou Shalt Party, Thou Shalt Party. And this weekend we're thinking about Passover. We are thinking in this series about the feasts and festivals of the Old Testament, the parties, if you will, that God commanded his people to hold. And this weekend, the Passover, it's the first of the annual feasts that are mentioned in Scripture, and it commemorates the pivotal moment in Israel's history when they were supernaturally delivered from the, uh, from the oppressive slavery of Egypt. It's a liberation celebration. The second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chronicles that story very carefully. And the Jews have been celebrating the Passover uh, that looks back on that event for nearly 3,400 years. So we're going to read some scripture. The scripture reading is quite long. Uh, I do not apologize for that. The most important thing you will hear today is not my words about scripture, but it is scripture speaking itself. So uh, the context of this is that Joseph, he of the Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, he's sold out by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt after some pressure. He prospers. Many Hebrews go to Egypt. Everything is going well until there is a regime change and then a program of propaganda and oppression begins. Exodus chapter 1. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers, and became so numerous, the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And then various verses about that first Passover night and the feast that is celebrated. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 6, take care of them, the lambs that is, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. The same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Verse 11. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you 
on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It's coming up very shortly. Um, I comment on it every year. The 4th of July will be here soon. Every year I get to preach on the 4th of July. I believe this is a conspiracy among the staff here. But you may be surprised, shocked even, to know that before my wife Kay and I came to America, we had never heard of the War of Independence. And it, it, some of you are looking really like, really? Is that true? Yep, we had never heard about the War of Independence until we came here. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, uh, in Britain, we've got quite an extensive long history. You know, Romans and Saxons and Vikings and, and all of that. And so we've got a long history. So if you miss that day in school, you missed it. Don't be offended. It's just the way it is. And not only that, we don't tend to emphasize that part of our history. <laughs> I can't think why. Probably because we lost. And then there are lots of interesting characters as well in our history that, that, that kids in school like to study, like Henry VIII, for example. I mean, terrible marriage counselor, but a fascinating character. So when Kay and I came to America, we didn't know about, we didn't even know we'd had a fight. We thought we'd always been friends. And then I get asked to speak at a church in California and the pastor says to me, I need you to be there on the, it's gotta be the 4th of July. And I'm like, what's, with the, what's that about? So I said, okay, so we flew to California and, and just before I get up to speak, the pastor introduces me he says, the British are coming, the British are coming. <laughs> I'm like, what? what? I'm here, that's kind of stupid. What's that about? Now, let me say immediately, lest you be upset with me, and I say this honestly, I'm really glad you got rid of us. I'm glad. Honestly, I'm happy because you would have never have put a man on the moon if you'd stuck around with us, you know. We want to do the Apollo program. Oh, don't be silly. Have another cup of tea, you know. <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. But here's the point. There's this freedom moment in history, and we didn't even know about it. There was a freedom moment in the Hebrews' history. It's the pivotal moment in their story. And God wanted them to never forget it. The situation of oppression in Egypt, slavery, God brings judgment on the oppressors, freedom for the captives. It's a miraculous narrative. The Red Sea parts, Pharaoh topples, if you will, in that moment in terms of his power over the Hebrews. And they institute this Passover meal. It's a meal shared, the Sedar. And in the Sedar, there is reading and drinking wine and telling stories and eating certain prescribed foods, and singing. And the whole meal is a drama, the entire meal. In fact, those pictures that you've seen of Jesus at the Last Supper, which was also the Passover meal, and they're all sitting at a table, aren't they? And they're all lined up, and Judas is on the end of the table looking irritated. And I want to tell you that that picture is completely inaccurate because they wouldn't sit at a table at the Passover. They would recline on their left side. 
They would lay on the floor to eat the Passover. Why? Because back in that time in history, people who could recline to eat, only those who were free could do that. They're not going to sit at a table. They're celebrating their freedom. The whole thing was a drama. So what can we learn from this meal as we investigate it over these next two or three hours together? (laughs) Just checking you're there. Number one. Number one, we see the truth about sin. The truth about sin, it's slavery. The truth about sin, it's slavery. I'm not the greatest cook, and if I ever offer to cook at home, my wife trembles with fear. And the reason for that is because I like to try weird ingredients to see what they'll taste like. Let's, let's put some chili powder on that ice cream. Imagine this. Imagine deliberately cooking a meal where some of it would taste bad. And that's what they did. They had these bitter herbs. In America, you call them herbs. There's an H. (laughs) But you've had the 4th of July, so you continue with your mispronunciation. (laughs) Just kidding. But they had these bitter herbs. Well, that sounds weird. Why did they do that? Because it was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And think about this. They were slaves for 400 years. That's twice the history of America as an independent nation. This wasn't 20 or 30 years, 400 And they eat these bitter herbs because they are reminding each other slavery is bitter and wow, was it bitter. And this is a picture, this slavery, this captivity, it's a picture of what can happen to us in our lives when we get ensnared by destructive habit patterns and sins. Pharaoh can appear in our lives. And what happened to them? Well, the the burden increases gradually. The burden increases gradually. They worked them ruthlessly. Then they took the materials that they needed to make the bricks. They took them away to make it even worse. And life becomes tedious. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor. We become frustrated and we groan and complain. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. There's this mythical message that joy comes from doing whatever you want. Just do it. It's a myth. Because when we become ensnared, we become captives. It's frustrating, tedious. And if it's sin, then we feel ashamed. Shame is created. Guilt is good. It's good to feel guilty when you are. I think Mark Twain says that. But shame is different from guilt. Guilt is targeted. Guilt says you did that wrong. It's a laser beam. Shame is a blanket that smothers you. It says you're wrong. And too many people live shame addicted. Lewis Smead said shame is a very heavy feeling. It is a feeling we don't measure up and maybe we'll never measure up to the sorts of people we're meant to be. The feeling when we're conscious of it gives us a vague disgust with ourselves which in turn feels like a hunk of lead on our hearts. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said most Christians have enough religion to feel guilty about their sins, but not enough to enjoy life in the spirit. Shame. Here's a question. I've been wrestling with this this week. Where's Pharaoh in my life, in yours? 
What controls us and we're kidding ourselves that we're in, we can, I, can, I can give that up any time. And Pharaoh reigns and rules. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I will not be mastered by anything. And let me say this before we move on. God doesn't want us to just identify pharaohs and stand beneath their shadows. He wants us to know today that pharaoh can stand in the shadow of God's greatness. Christianity is about being supernaturally empowered to know freedom. Let my people go, cried Moses. That's God's heart. Where's Pharaoh? Secondly, let's see God's heart for all people everywhere. God's heart for all people everywhere. It is freedom. This was a very inclusive meal, this Passover meal. The Babylonian Talmud speaks about the Passover. It says this, even the poorest person in Israel may not eat until he reclines and they must not give him less than four cups of wine. What's that about? It's God saying, I want everybody in, regardless of history, social, economic status, whatever that is. I want everybody at that feast, at that festivity. That's the gospel, by the way. Whoever will may come. And you might be sitting here this morning, sir, saying, this stuff is not for me. I'm not religious. By the way, can I say, I'm not religious. I can't stand religion. I love Jesus, but I'm not religious. There's a difference. And you might be going, oh, I'm not the religious. Or you might be thinking, my history, it's, if you knew my history, preacher, pastor Jeff, you'd, you'd, you'd know this is not for me. God's heart is for you. And the Passover message says that the mightiest Pharaoh in your life can be beaten. During the Passover, they eat lettuce and parsley. Why do they do that? It's springtime. New possibilities. New beginnings. Your life, someone really needs to hear this, your life does not have to continue upon the tram lines that it currently is functioning on. The springtime message was in this, and it was for everybody. It was for the oldest to the youngest. The children were invited. It's one of the reasons we celebrate VBS, which, by the way, was, is way more than babysitting. It's not that. It's about inviting children to know Jesus. At the Passover, the Sedar table, the children take the lead. And the youngest child, there's a point in the, in the meal where the youngest child says to the father, Manish Tanah, Halayla Hazar, Mikal Halay Lot. And I don't anticipate that our beautiful signer over there will have done anything with that whatsoever but by the way can we just express our joy and appreciation for the beauty of this wonderful ministry what, what was that question about the question it was four questions why do we eat unleavened bread why do we eat bitter herbs why must we dip the herbs twice why do we all recline? What's, what's going on here? God is saying to the children, you're in this. 
You're part of this from the oldest to the youngest. God's heart for all people everywhere. And it might be that you're not a follower of Jesus right now. How about changing that? And I can hear someone going, really? I just came to church. Really? I remember the day I just went to church and walked out with a new life. You can change that. If you're far away from God right now, you can change that. You're invited. Thirdly, there is a pathway to tread for that invitation to make sense and be real. Our Passover lamb, Jesus. Our Passover lamb, Jesus. All this stuff about slaughtering lambs, it's probably quite weird for us in our culture. What was God doing? God was gradually letting his people know that they couldn't save themselves that there was a means by way they could be rescued. And it was very prescriptive. You've got to do this. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It wasn't an option. How about doing this? It was very, very prescriptive. Uh, last week, Ken and I were in Salt Lake City. I was preaching in a church there. And uh, they have a beautiful shopping mall there. And so we decided, we went shopping. Actually, we went shopping. <laughs> And um, our, our cell phones needed replacing. Uh, they are very old and um, driven by donkeys walking in a circle. <laughs> and so we went to this store. It would be wrong of me, wouldn't it, to name the store. But I've always liked apples, personally. <laughs> and we chat with this nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, and he's a genius. How amazing is that? Such tender age he's a genius and he looks at our cell phones and he does that thing they do you know <laughs> sort of a horsey exclamation of despair I'm going to say you should meet my donkeys you know but now that's anyway so he said you need new phones and we're like oh okay you know let's get a mortgage buy new phones now, let me explain something here. In our house, we've got this lady who's moved in recently, and, and her name is Alexa. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know her. She's with you too, isn't she? And for you, you, you some of you are going, what's Alexa? Well, it's a voice-activated thing, and you can say, you can say Alexa, what's the time? It's, which is so much easier than going like that, you know. <laughs> right? And you can say, who won the Super Bowl in 1947 and other interesting stuff. So we've got Alexa in the house. And we've, I've got this lady in my cell phone. And her name is Siri. Now, my wife doesn't have Siri. She has changed Siri. My wife, this is absolutely true, and I don't have permission to share it, but forgiveness is easier. <laughs> my wife has got, um, no word of a lie, she has got an Australian surfer dude with like a six-pack and tanned. And before he took up work in a cell phone, he was a member of a boy band in Australia. And so we got, I got Siri and, uh, in, in the phone, and I've got Alexa uh, at home. So we get our new cell phones, and we're excited. We're driving down the road with the pastor, and I'm, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I said, hey, Alexa. Nothing. Alexa, nothing. 
I'm like, I'm going to go back and see that pre-adolescent and tell him. I said, Alexa. I said, this. I said to the pastor, he's driving. I said, this thing doesn't work. And he said, the right name is Siri. Siri. Gave me that look like pity. And I could have said, but I, I, it's Alexa I want. I'm missing her. But there was one name I needed to use. And the Bible says there is one name under heaven by which we can be saved. And it's not Alexa and it's not Siri. It is Jesus. And there is, I'm sorry. It, no, I'm not sorry. I need to declare this clearly in a culture where if you are, they, they call it being dogmatic and arrogant. I need to say this. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way. He is the Passover lamb. And if you're offended about that, I'm sorry, but take it up with him. Because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The John the Baptist saw Jesus, and they have this really weird interchange. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a weird thing to say to someone. Hi, you're a lamb. What's he doing? He is taking the imagery of the scapegoat of Leviticus 16. They would pray for a goat and they would believe that the goat wandering into the desert was symbolize the taking away of their sins. John the Baptist switches the metaphor from goat to lamb who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Can I take a moment or two here to just lift up the beautiful name of Jesus because he is the gentle lamb of Jeremiah 11. He is the lamb who replaces the scapegoat of Leviticus 16. He is the lamb of Genesis 22, the substitute for Isaac. He is the guilt offering of Leviticus 14. He is the lamb led to slaughter, Isaiah 53. But he's also the triumphant lamb of Revelation chapter 7 and 17. He's the lamb. And in the meal, the Passover meal, they remembered the lamb in the temple. They had a shank bone that would remind them of that. And then there's this interesting moment in the ceremony. They call it the Ophicoman ceremony. They would take the bread, the matzo, they would wrap it in linen, and then the children go away and hide it. And then a while later, they bring it back, wrapped in linen. Commentators have noticed that Jesus, who said, this is my body, broken for you. Jesus, who described himself as the bread of life, went to the cross and died there for us, and they wrapped his body in linen. And three days later, he rose again. At the end of the Passover feast, they would pour a fifth cup of wine, but no one would drink from it. It was called the cup of Elijah, our Jewish friends believed that Elijah would make an appearance and then Messiah would come. They get up, having poured the cup, they go to the door of the house, they open the door, 
They call out for Elijah and they cry out that wrath and judgment be poured out upon their enemies. But no one drinks the cup. And Jesus, that night, when he celebrated the Passover, he didn't drink that cup with his friends. He said, I won't drink it again until I drink wine with you anew. But then he went to Gethsemane right away. And in Gethsemane, he said, Father, let this cup pass away from me. Jesus drank the fifth cup of judgment and wrath. And he drank it to the depths so that we would not have to. He is the lamb. And he is the only way. Well, the last thing is this. And that is responding to his sacrifice. Responding to his sacrifice. Remembering, resolve, availability, and thanksgiving. It, the Passover was about remembering, and let's just build the connection here. The Passover became the Last Supper, and the Last Supper became the Lord's Supper that we are about to celebrate here. And as we do that, we remember all that he has done for us. That Passover feast for him was about resolution, resolve. He determined to do what he did as he walked to the cross. He was available to what the Father wanted. Do you remember the Passover feast was to be consumed by a people dressed ready for a journey? They dressed up for it with their cloaks tucked in their belts, sandals on their feet, staff in hand. This was about being willing to go wherever God was taking you, and that's what Jesus did. But it was also about thanksgiving. In the darkest moment, the Bible says about that Last Supper, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When I first read that years ago, I thought, I wonder what they sung. Wouldn't it be neat to know what they sang, the, the final song before going to the cross? Wouldn't it be neat? Well, we do know what they sang. Because at the end of the Passover meal, they would sing the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. So we're pretty sure we know the last song Jesus sang with his friends. Listen to these words. Remember, he's about to go out to Gethsemane, to arrest, to beating, to crucifixion, to resurrection. And these words upon his lips. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. And then he sang these words. Knowing he was going to cross, 
and resurrection. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And then the last stanza of the song. Before going to execution, he would have declared, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then they went out. You see, thankfulness is not just an emotion, it's a discipline. And that night of nights, in the midst of the coming pain and agony, He says, you're good. Your love endures forever. And he went out. Let's pray together. As we look at this Passover, Lord, we realize the truth about sin, it's slavery, and we ask you to show us where Pharaoh or pharaohs rule over us. Show us now. Show us this week. Show us. Not that we might be intimidated, but rather motivated to call out for your help and strength. Because freedom is your heart for people, all people, everywhere, young and old. Let's keep our heads bowed for a moment. Some of us, we're going to go away from this time and we're going to be asking the question this week, where's, where's Pharaoh? And some of us, we're going to be surprised because we've been in denial. And we've said, I, 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 can, I can conquer him anytime, but it's a myth. Some of us already know where Pharaoh is stalking and stomping around. Our heads are bowed. If you find yourself there, you'd say, Pastor Jeff, include me in a prayer because I'm staring at my pharaohs right now. I know what they are. I need God's help. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand and hold it there for a second, please? Just do that. We pray you can lower your hands. We pray for every person who perhaps in this moment sees a reality that they might not have seen before, or maybe they did, but they've not acted. Would you come with your strength and power? As we continue with our heads bowed, I've said Jesus is the only way. And in this moment, you can become a Christian. We're going to share communion in a few moments, and you can become a Christian. You say, how do I do that? Well, just make a decision. Ask him to come into your life to take charge. The bread and the wine reminds us that we can come because he has offered himself as the lamb on the cross. And he's raised from the dead. So call out to him. You're not just asking him to bless you and help you out. Becoming a Christian is saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be your friend, your disciple. So in your own words, whisper that to him now. 
And at the end of our time, we'll have folks at the front here, our prayer team. They've got resources to help you with that new journey. Lord, for any who are making that step, would you reveal yourself to them? Finally, Lord, we pray as we come to this moment of thankfulness, we pray especially for those who find themselves in the shadow lands and life is dark as it was for you that night, Jesus. And we're not you, Lord. Would you show us how to do this? That we too, whatever the circumstances, might learn to be grateful. Help us, help us, help us, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said...